Good morning. Uh, <laughs> I'm Meg. I'm the children's director here at Oak Church. Um, and I'm really excited to be up here today for a couple reasons. One is that um, I get to share with you about children and their place in the kingdom, which is something that I'm really passionate about. Um, the other reason is that part of the reason that I'm up here this particular Sunday is that the Breslins are on Baby Watch. So it's always like extra exciting to feel like I'm helping. Um, <laughs> um, so I'm going to go ahead and read the scripture for, oh no, I'm going to pray first. We're going to do that. And then I'll go ahead and read the scripture. All right. Pray with me, please. Lord, thank you for being with us this morning. Thank you for, um, for being our good, good father and, uh, and for providing for us. Um, God, I pray that, um, that what I say this morning would be from you and um, that anything that's not would just fly over everyone's head. And um, yeah, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. All right, so the text this morning, I'm going to go ahead and read it for you just because it's so short. Um, it's from Mark. Uh, it's a little snippet from chapter 9 and a little snippet from chapter 10. Jesus reached for a little child, placed him among the twelve, and embraced him. Then he said, whoever welcomes one of these children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me isn't actually welcoming me, but rather the one who sent me. And then later, people were bringing children to Jesus so that he would bless them. But the disciples scolded them. When Jesus saw this, he grew angry and said to them, allow the children to come to me. Don't forbid them because God's kingdom belongs to people like these children. I assure you that whoever doesn't welcome God's kingdom like a child will never enter it. Then he hugged the children and blessed them. In our text this morning, we get these two glimpses into the way that Jesus interacted with children in his time on earth. And since children were down at the bottom of the social hierarchy along with women and slaves, uh, it certainly wasn't expected that Jesus was going to talk to or about children. But of course, Jesus never did much that was expected. Um, to set the stage for both of these vignettes, Jesus and his disciples are making their way towards Jerusalem for the last time. And along the way, Jesus is trying to prepare his friends for what's to come, for his suffering, his death, his resurrection. Um, and they can't conceptualize this. They think that they're advancing towards the overthrow of the Roman government and the inauguration of a kingdom that's both spiritual and political. They're focused on power and status. Even when Jesus tells them quite plainly that he must suffer and die and rise again, they're confused and they return again to questions of worldly power and prestige. In the first vignette, the disciples are arguing about which one of them will be the greatest in this new kingdom that Jesus is inaugurating. And Jesus stops them, he sits them down, and he gathers them around a child. He says that whoever welcomes a child in his name is welcoming Jesus and God the Father. A child? What use is a child when it comes to kingdoms and kingly authority? But Jesus asserts that the presence of a child can usher us into the presence of God. 
Now, even though we have the benefit of hindsight that the disciples don't have in this scene, I still don't think Jesus's words jive well with what we think about when we think about entering God's presence. So I want everyone to take a moment and imagine your ideal place to commune with God, a space in which you can experience God's presence in a real and tangible way. Oh, go ahead. Ideal place to meet with God. Get a good visual in your head. What does it look like, sound like, smell like, taste like? We got it? We're good? Okay. Did anyone envision somewhere out in nature, somewhere beautiful and natural, maybe with your Bible and a journal? Did anyone envision somewhere architecturally beautiful, like Duke Chapel with the choir singing and the lights streaming through the windows. All right, we got one of those at least. Um, high church lovers. Um, or maybe you were exercising. This would not be me, but maybe this is you. You're on a long run or you're doing your yoga or whatever and your movements of your body are helping center you. Um, did anyone's vision of an ideal place to meet with God include a child? No, no children, no, mine didn't either. Um, so probably, probably no children, and we've confirmed that, no children in our visions, um, because we work really hard to eliminate distractions when we're trying to focus on God. And children are really distracting. They're messy and loud and smelly and kind of underfoot. Um, and I think that a lot of us, and I do this as well, and I'm the children's director, um, feel like at least part of the reason that children's ministry exists is so that we can extract the distracting children from our service and put them somewhere else for a little while so all of us can get spiritual together. Um, but Jesus holds up a child as a gateway into his presence. He uses this phrase, in my name, to describe the way in which we're gonna welcome children. And this is one of those phrases that I tend to gloss over because it's kind of part of the Christian vernacular at this point. Um, it's just the thing that you say after the prayer and before amen, right, in Jesus' name. Um, and Jesus had previously sent the disciples out in his name to perform miracles of healing and restoration. So now he applies the same phrase to a child so basically the king, King Jesus, can send whomever he pleases, including a child, as his emissary. And this child is just as deserving of respect and welcome as the disciples were when they went out. So when we welcome a child in Christ's name, we are in kingdom space under the authority of King Jesus. Christ promises that we will encounter both him and the Father, just as surely as when we gather around this table or when we bow our heads in prayer, or when we work in our God-given giftings, or proclaim the gospel, or sit with the least of these, when we join hands with our enemies in reconciliation, or when we go to that quiet contemplative space that we all envisioned a minute ago to meet with God, he's just as present with a child as he is in all of those other places. So this means that the volunteers who right now are in the nursery or in the godly playroom are just as likely to be encountering God as, as we are 
Um, and probably more likely, since I don't remember Jesus extolling the virtues of sermon listening as a gateway into his presence. Um, that doesn't mean I'm gonna stop talking though, sorry. Um, <laughs> so do you remember the visual that Sarah described in her sermon on reconciliation a few weeks ago? Yeah. Thanks. It's that we, I, I can't get this image out of my head. Oh, there it is, good. Um, it's that we're all inside this creaky old wooden box and there are these unstoppable beams of light that symbolize God's loving, imagination-shattering, awe-inspiring presence. And we can only see little bits of it through the cracks of this box when in reality it's huge and massive and all around us. And she said that when we work towards reconciliation, we're kind of like prying up the corners of the box or like, you know, widening the cracks a little bit to let more of that light in. That's the same thing that happens when we're really present with children. Um, it's, it's as if the child's face is the prism that's reflecting and refracting the light of God's presence for us and revealing it to us in these new and unexpected ways. But what does it mean to welcome a child in Christ's name? Well, the practice of welcoming children is really similar to what Chris talked about last week when he taught us about the practice of being with the least of these. If you remember, we learned that we are called simply to be with the one who is suffering. We are not responsible for trying to engineer outcomes or distract the hurting from the enormity of their own need. And we aren't in charge of fixing all of their problems as if we could. Um, and we can, can you put up the next one? Yeah, just to remind you, in case you weren't here. Um, being with, not doing. Um, this way of being with someone takes time and trust and patience and presence. Our presence, our whole presence, but also God's presence. So this is really different from how adults typically interact with children. Uh, generally, we, when we're with kids, the path of least resistance is to use um, distraction or entertainment uh, or possibly uh, maybe our greater size advantage um, to keep things from getting out of hand behaviorally. Now, my background is elementary education, for anyone who doesn't know. So I know a lot about keeping kids from getting out of hand behaviorally. Uh, I took a whole course on what's called classroom management, which is basically not letting 35-year-olds devolve into chaos um, on a daily basis. <laughs> Nancy's laughing. <laughs> it's an art, man. <laughs> um, and some of the, some things that, that fall under the category of classroom management um, do fit with being with children in, in the way that... that this kind of welcome that Jesus is talking about. Um, things like having really set expectations and routines that makes kids feel safe and know what's coming. Um, or things like giving them respectful work to do that's not too hard and not too easy. Um, but all that stuff takes communication and thought and really knowing each child individually. Um, and that's why I think the allure of entertainment and distraction is so strong, 
because you don't have to really be with a child or know her at all to turn on the TV or hold up a flashy toy or say, because I said so. Um, so as is often the case with the best way, it's, it's not the easiest way. Jerome Berryman, who's the Episcopal priest who developed the godly play method that we use with our older children, um, has devoted his entire career to figuring out how we can best welcome children in Jesus' name. Uh, and if one of the things that he talks a lot about is called the unspoken lesson. And if you've ever observed a godly play lesson or even just looked in our classroom, um, you've probably intuited at least some of this unspoken lesson. Um, if you've ever been in our classroom and you've tried to stand up in the storytelling circle as an adult, I, I see some people starting to laugh. Um, you hit your head on a, on a paper lantern <laughs> um, and you feel kind of silly real fast. Um, and that's not because I have poorly placed lanterns, although some people may think they're poorly placed. Um, they're there on purpose. Uh, they're there to remind us adults that this is not our space. Um, we are to be, when we're in the Godly Playroom, as much as possible on eye level with the children. Uh, and we do this so that we can really be present to them. This also makes us less physically imposing. Um, it's a really practical way of giving up our status as adults and submitting to the leadership of the children. You may have also noticed, if you've seen our classroom, that it's a really beautiful and orderly space. Um, there's nothing really distracting about it. There's no toys or screens or even much in the way of bright colors except for the colors of the liturgical calendar. Um, but each object in that classroom was made or chosen with great love and care. Um, and if you look more closely, you may also notice that the materials have all been organized so that the kids can do things by themselves and for themselves as much as possible. So all these components work together for the unspoken lesson, which is we trust you, we value you, and we believe that you are going to meet with God in this place. You don't have to be in the godly play classroom to welcome children, of course. You just need to open yourself up to them. Quiet any need that you have for control, which is harder for some of us than others. Um, and offer up your whole self to the presence of that child and to God. And the rest is up to the Holy Spirit. So in our second vignette, the disciples having heard and internalized Jesus' words about the importance of children to the kingdom Welcome the children who approach Jesus in order to receive his blessing. I'm just seeing if you're paying attention. Yeah, they, no, they didn't welcome the children. <laughs> so the disciples rebuke them. So various scholars disagree over whether this is mothers with babies in arms or whether it's older children. And it doesn't really matter um, for our purposes because we know that Jesus loved and valued children and mothers just from his other interactions um, during his time on earth. But the disciples, seeing kids approaching Jesus, basically say, what are you doing here? You don't belong here. This is spiritual space. Now, 
when we roll our eyes at the noisy baby in our midst or breathe a sigh of relief after all the children leave for godly play so we can all get down to the real business of worship, aren't we communicating the same thing? I think Jesus' response to this is fascinating because he gets angry. And Jesus doesn't get angry very often. Um, this really ticks him off, though. The, the only other time in the Gospels that we see Jesus angry like this is when he's clearing the temple. Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them. They belong here. Jesus says emphatically that children belong in his presence. And not only that, he says that anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God, like a little child, will not enter it. Whoa there, Jesus. First you're saying that we have to be present to children and welcome them. Now you're saying that we have to become like them? When have we ever extolled anyone in leadership because they're childlike? We want people who are in charge to be powerful and important and serious and mature and intellectually astute. We want them to be impressive. Children are not very impressive. Now, I don't think we can fully conceptualize what it is like to truly be childlike in the way that Jesus is talking about here unless we spend a lot of time being present with children and learning from them. And that's one reason why we invite everyone at Oak Church to come and spend time with kids in godly play or in nursery. Um, it's part of our discipleship as adults. But that being said, I wanna help you begin to expand your imagination for what it could look like to grow into childlike maturity as a believer. The first and most obvious lens through which we can look at Jesus's statement is that of status. To enter the kingdom like a child is to come empty-handed with nothing, but, nothing to give but yourself, yet ready to receive all the king has for you. There's an openness and a yieldedness that comes with the knowledge that you have no power and that you require the care of other people. It's the vulnerable cry of a baby who is hungry or tired or uncomfortable in any way and has absolutely no recourse but to scream. It's the lost child who runs up to the first nice looking adult that he can find because he's lost in the grocery store and he needs help finding his mom. My son Sam, who's two, will look up at me and lift up his arms and say, care of me, um, when he really wants to say, carry me. But it's the same thing, right? Take care of me, I need help, I can't do this by myself. In Matthew's Gospel, Jesus is recorded as saying, whoever humbles himself like this child will be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And humble in this case isn't the nice like, oh, she's so humble, that's so great, I really admire that. And it's certainly not the like hashtag humble brag. Um, <laughs> I've been on Instagram for like two weeks, so I know about this now. Um, <laughs> its meaning is closer to our word for humiliate. Uh, it implies total and complete vulnerability, and it hearkens to Jesus's utter humiliation on the cross. Growing into this kind of humility can be painful, but it's the path of our Savior. And I know for myself that being with children as a volunteer, as a teacher, as a parent, 
has done a lot to move me farther along the road to Christ-like humility. Um, and usually it's not because I am you know, observing them and taking notes and learning. Usually it's because the really practical work of caring for the basic needs of little ones does wonders for keeping you from, from becoming too self-important. Change enough diapers and make enough peanut butter sandwiches. Uh, you, you'll, you'll get there. <laughs> um, another aspect of childlikeness that I think God is calling us into is the sense of wonder that children have. Theologian Hans Urs von Balthasar wrote about a child's sense of wonder as flowing from an immense gratitude for simply being alive. Which makes a lot of sense if you observe children interacting with the world. It seems that every time I am trying to be on time somewhere, my children display this childlike wonder because they have to look at every twig and rock and clover between my front door and my car before we can go anywhere, um, which makes me pretty exasperated, generally. Um, or maybe you've seen a little kid play peekaboo. Again, Sam's two, and he's still really into peekaboo. I mean, it's been two years. He knows what's going to happen next, um, but he still cannot get enough. Um, Kids just aren't blasé about anything. They're not jaded. They haven't been there and done that. They really see in ways that most of us just don't because we're busy or we're distracted. But if we look closely and listen to our father and follow the lead of the youngest among us, we can begin to have our sight restored. G.K. Chesterton famously writes of this childlike vision. Children always say, do it again. And the grown-up person does it again until he is utterly, until he is nearly dead. For grown-up people are not strong enough to exult in monotony. But perhaps God is strong enough to exult in monotony. It is possible that God says every morning, do it again to the sun. And every evening, do it again to the moon. It may not be automatic necessity that makes all the daisies alike. It may be that God makes every daisy separately, but never got tired of making them. It may be that he has the eternal appetite of infancy. For we have sinned and grown old, but our father is younger than we. The repetition in nature may not be a mere recurrence. It may be a theatrical encore. And this leads me to the final trait of children that I think is something that we should aspire to. It's an imagination unspoiled by the need for practicality or seriousness, or social acceptability. The creative imagination of children is far more in tune with the creative force of God than our damaged adult imaginations are. And to be honest, I don't know exactly how to describe this to you because my imagination is so badly damaged by a lifetime of trying to be practical, and when I'm honest, just trying to not look silly. Um, I can barely conceptualize this kind of imagination myself. Sam's favorite Bible story right now is David and Goliath. And I've always thought that David believed God would help, defeat, would help him defeat Goliath because he's David. And he's a man after God's own heart. And that's what he does. Um, but this sermon has made me wonder if some of that was perhaps a function of David's youth. 
Um, perhaps he hadn't experienced a time in which God seemed to fail him, or if he did, he didn't allow it to contract his imagination for what God's radical provision could look like. So what might, be com might the coming of God's kingdom look like here in this place? What could happen if God's limitless creativity was brought to bear on our gifts and abilities and situations? What could happen if we allowed Christ to strip away our own expectations and conceptions of what is appropriate or practical? Let's pray that the Holy Spirit will breathe life into the long dead corners of our imaginations and move us out of our comfortable routines and ideas of what God usually does. This is how we can, as Jerome Berryman puts it, play our way into the kingdom. And I, I'm ready for the next. You know that? <laughs> there we go, that one. Um, Maria Montessori once said that play is the work of the child. And now with the research that has been done on like optimal work environments and the phenomenon of flow in terms of one's work, we can see that work at its best and most productive feels a lot like play. It's creative and engrossing and life-giving. And I think that that's what the work of the kingdom the good works that Ephesians 2.10 says God has prepared in advance for us to do, I think that's what it can feel like when we take the role of the child working and playing alongside her father. So this is the, the progression. Uh, childlike humility, which leads to gratitude and wonder and restored imagination and when all of those things are working together, we can grow in childlike maturity, um, where we are childlike, but not childish. We can't get here on our own. We need God's help, and we need to get acquainted with God as he reveals himself in children. So I challenge you to really take notice of the children that cross your path this week and to approach them expectantly waiting for the Holy Spirit to teach you and form you within your experiences with children. And I also wanna give a particular encouragement to those of us who are currently parenting. I would hate for you to leave this morning feeling like you have been given a reason that you are failing because you don't feel like every interaction you ever have with your child is tinged with holy aura or whatever. <laughs> Um, because the truth is that whether you realize it or not, the Lord is using the crucible of parenting to shape you more and more into Christ-likeness. Every sleepless night, every bout of sickness, every difficult decision you have to make, every situation that brings you to the end of yourself in service of another, this is the way of Jesus. Keep at it. You are welcoming your children to every corner of your life and your heart, and this is holy work. I want to leave you with a poem by Malcolm Geith called Whoever Welcomes. Welcome. The word is always on your lips. Each welcome warms another one inside, an interleaving of relationships an open door where arms are open wide, 
First, welcome to the child, and through the child, a welcome to the Savior of the world. And through the Savior's welcome, all are called home to the Father's heart. Each call is curled and nested in another, as you were nested and nestled in your mother's womb, as Mary carried one who carried her. And we are wrapped in you deep in the tomb, where you turn our rejection into welcome, and death itself becomes our welcome home. Pray with me. Lord God, thank you for the gift of children. Please help us to learn all you have for us to learn from them and give us strength and patience to teach them your ways as well. Amen. <laughs>